Today we are um, continuing our series called Spending Someone Else's Money. Um, we are covering what the Bible says about money, and the idea behind this series has been not to do where we bring up the topic of money simply to talk about church giving to a church, but rather we wanted to do a series that was on like a holistic view of money and what the Bible says about money, and we wanted to cover other topics that are often not covered, like caring for the poor, and saving, and debt, and spending, and contentment, and things like that. And so today's topic is debt. And, um, and I know this is also Royal Family Kids Camp Commissioning Sunday, and so surprise, I know some of you only come to church here once a year. And, uh, and <laughs> if I had planned this out, I wouldn't have made debt fall on this, on this particular week, but it did, and so, you know, whatever, deal with, you can ask God about that. I didn't, I didn't try to make this happen. So today's topic is debt, and for me, the problem with today's topic is I didn't even intend for this um, topic to stand alone. My original plan was for this week's topic to be a sub point of last week's sermon. Okay. That was my desire. I did not want to do a whole sermon on debt. It was just going to be a little a thing that we said last week. Um, but because uh, I wasn't even sure that this topic like stands up well on its own and yet it's a really important topic and I couldn't fit it into last week's sermon. And so here we are. Um, I am, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is the things that I said last week, are truly the foundation for what I'm saying this week. I did not intend for you to hear these two messages separate from one another. Like what I said last week is all the stuff I intended to say and then say the stuff that I'm saying now. And so I'm going to have to review a little bit of last week since some of you were not here because I really think that everything I'm about to say just it builds upon what we already established last week. So if you weren't here, let me show you uh, the, the main Bible verse that we learned last week. Our main text was Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. And this is what it says. It says, precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. That was our main verse last week. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. This verse compares a foolish person to a wise person. And what does the foolish person do in the verse? He consumes. What does he consume? Well, he consumes them, right? Well, what is that? Well, it's referring to the, what was earlier in the Proverbs. So there's treasure and oil in the wise man's dwelling. The foolish man consumes his treasure and oil. Right? The foolish man has, has money, the foolish man has food, and so does the rich man, um, and so does the wise person. But what happens with the foolish man? He consumes all of them. There's nothing to show for it. Right? He consumes everything. What does the wise person do, according to the verse? Well, obviously, he doesn't consume all of them because he, he still has some in his dwelling. That makes sense? So that's what we learned last week, and we talked about saving. This proverb is, um, in some ways, it's a little bit related to the modern-day proverb of you can't have your cake and eat it too. Have you heard that? Right? Which is sort of weird growing up because you go like, well, I don't, how can you even eat cake you don't have? I don't understand that. But the, the, for those of you that know what that proverb means, it's saying like if you have a slice of cake and then you eat the slice of cake, you no longer have the slice of cake. Or I mean, or you do, but in a very different form that no one is interested in. <laughs> and so you can't have it and be eating it at the same time. And that's the idea here. Like this foolish man can't have treasure and oil in his house and consume it, right? If he consumes it, then he doesn't have it anymore, but the wise person has it because he hasn't consumed it. And so that's what we talked about um, last week. We talked about the fact that <clears throat> this does not mean that the, like the Bible is against all forms of consumption or spending. Like That's not the point of this proverb. This proverb is not saying that foolish people uh, spend, but wise people don't spend, right? It's not saying um, foolish people eat, wise people, they never eat. Like That's not what it's saying. It's just saying of what you get, you're not supposed to consume 
all of it. That was the point. And that's why we talked about saving last week, right? We're not supposed to consume all of it. Now, if that is correct, then the principle for how to handle today's topic, debt, should be pretty obvious. If it's a bad idea to consume 100% of your stuff, then it's a bad idea to consume 105% of your stuff. Are you with me? If it's foolish to spend all of it, then of course it's foolish to spend all of it and then borrow some and then spend all of that. So we can take what we learned last week and just apply it to this week's topic, right? If the Bible uses the title fool or foolish man for the person who devours 100% of their stuff, then what would be said about the man who devours 120% of his stuff? A large fool, right? a super fool, right? Now, I realize that the majority of Americans carry some kind of debt and do not show up to church wanting to be called super fools. So, let me try to get into the weeds a little bit, um, and I'd like to add some nuance to this discussion. And in fact, that is something that I would not have been able to do if I had just tried to cram this in into last week's sermon. There would have been no room for nuance, but today we do. All right, so one thing I want to make sure I do is I, I don't want to teach this morning that every single form of borrowing and lending and debt is always and only sinful. Okay? I, I don't believe that, and so I want to make sure I don't communicate that every form of borrowing and debt is only and always sinful. So let's go ahead and start with that. Um, does the Bible condemn all debt? I will tell you this. There are multiple places in the Bible where the, where the Bible speaks negatively of debt, but I don't think it condemns all debt. And so I want to start with the Old Testament and show you some ideas that you find even in the Israelite laws. So if you go to Exodus chapter 22... I'm going to start reading in verse 14. So we see the laws that were given to the Hebrew people by God, like through Moses. And Exodus chapter 22, verse 14 says this. When a man, what's the word? Good, so we got the right verse. When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not there with it, the man must make full restitution. If its owner is there with it, the man does not have to make restitution. If it was rented, the loss is covered by its rental price. So interesting how... These laws were given to the Israelite people. If you borrowed someone's animal, which back then would be like borrowing a power tool or heavy equipment, right? This is, we, I, I need your ox in order to do whatever it is that we're going to do. So if you borrow somebody's animal and it dies under your watch, you're supposed to make restitution for that animal. But if you rent the animal and the man, which is kind of seems what it is here, right? If the guy is there and he's the one with his ox and you're, you're all there together and the ox dies... Oh, then that's not a problem. You, it's not like you took his ox off somewhere and killed it, right? The guy was right there. That's his thing. It's covered in the rental price. So we see that there are rules in the Old Testament about how to handle borrowing when you have stuff that, that is, it doesn't really belong to you, but, but it's in your possession, right? What do you do when you borrow? Same chapter of Exodus, just a few verses later, you'll find this verse, Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to my people, so we had just looked at a verse about borrowing an animal, and now we're talking about borrowing money. If you lend money to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a money lender to him. You must not charge him interest. And so you can see in the Old Testament law, um, I, I think this was generally true, that the Hebrew people were not supposed to charge interest to each other. And in this verse, especially if the person was poor, do not take advantage of the poor person. Yes, you can lend them money, but don't take advantage of the bad situation that they're in and charge them interest, right? So the poor people that were among them, they were not supposed to do that. But apparently they were able to loan them money. 
You keep going. This is the very next verse, verse 26 of Exodus 22. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset. So this is, he borrowed something from you and you're hanging on to his cloak. But look what it says. You need to return it to him before sunset. There's a reason for this. For it is his only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am compassionate. So he says, hey, if you make a loan, that's fine that you hang on to the person's cloak while they're doing whatever. But when nighttime comes, if it's not done, give him his cloak back for the night, right? Don't allow this borrowing situation to cause this guy to not be able to sleep at night. He's shivering. Maybe he's going to shiver to death because you sat there and said, nope, nope, you haven't paid me back yet and you can't have your cloak. Like, let the guy have a blanket and sleep at night. And so you can see there were different rules that they made that were related to borrowing. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 24 has another one that I thought was interesting. Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 10. It says, when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not enter his house to collect what he offers as security. You must stand outside while the man you are making the loan to brings the security out to you. Okay, I don't even know for sure what this is all about, but just at my first reading of this, I just, this is just so fantastic to me. He goes, hey, you're making a loan, and the person is going to bring out, I guess, the security here would be like collateral. And they, the rule is you don't get to go walking through that guy's house and looking at all his stuff. Like you wait outside, and you wait for him to bring it out to you. Like there's a certain amount of privacy, I guess, that that guy was owed, even though you're making a loan. You don't get to go in and look at all of his stuff. And so you can see that there were... Um, there were rules in the Old Testament for how they were supposed to handle borrowing and lending and debt. My point in reading these verses to you is not to get into the specifics of Israelite law, but rather to simply point out that it does not seem to me that God is against all forms of borrowing and lending. So let me go ahead and describe some types of modern borrowing and modern debt that at least it seems to me they are not sinful or foolish or super foulish, okay? Um, let me give you one that's a real easy one. This, I think, is just an obvious example. We'll all agree. Um, let's say I am with a friend, and we're going to go to an ice cream shop because we're going to get some ice cream. And this happens to be a very popular ice cream shop. So we park my car. It's like 40 yards away from the place, okay? So because it's like the parking lot was full. So there we go. We park my car. We get out. We walk all the way to the place. We wait in line. We get up to the counter, we're gonna go order our ice cream, I'm about to order my ice cream, and then I realize, oh no, I left my wallet in the car. And so I say to my friend, hey, could you spot me $5? I'll pay you back when I get to the car. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Okay, is that borrowing? Yes, is it a type of debt? Yes, it is. Is there something sinful or foolish about that? No, no chance, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, I'm borrowing. Yes, technically, I'm in debt to that person, right? I'm gonna, I owe them $5. I'm going to owe them $5 for 15 minutes, okay? So yes, it's a type of debt. But is it the kind of debt that goes against Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20? No. I'm, yes, I'm borrowing money, but I'm, I'm borrowing money I have, right? I'm not spending money I don't have, right? I'm borrowing money I actually have, and when I get back to the car, I'm going to hand him the $5 that I actually have in my car. I'm not spending money that I haven't earned yet. You following me on that? And there are a lot of people that do that with credit cards. Lots of people do that with credit cards. Now, obviously not everybody, because if everybody did that with credit cards, I think they'd all go out of business. But there are probably several of us in this room that we use credit cards and we're borrowing. It's a type of debt. But we're, we're borrowing money we actually have. We're paying the card off every single month with money we have. There are probably several people in this room that you make a purchase on June 1st, right? It's technically, it's debt. 
And then July 1st, the bill comes and you pay it off in full. My wife and I do this all the time. We, on July 1st, we pay off the credit card in full. We pay off the credit card in full with money we actually had back on June 1st. But for convenience sake, we use the credit card because that's way easier when you're at the gas pump or where you're at wherever. So there are lots of times where you are borrowing, but you're not spending money you haven't earned yet. Um, another type of borrowing and debt that seems to me to be neither sinful nor foolish would be home loans. Now, I'm not saying all home loans are great. Like, I'm sure there must be some sort of foolish home loan. There's probably tons of them. Um, I think, in fact, I think, wasn't it 2008 when it was, like, really famous that, like, everyone realized there were a lot of home loans that were, were dumb? Um, but I'm saying not every single one, but just I'm, I'm saying in general the idea that you would say, okay, I'm going to live in a home for a certain amount of time, and I, and, and I need a place to live. I want to live indoors, so I'm going to live indoors, and I'm going to make a payment and so I make this agreement with my bank or whatever. Usually it's called a mortgage, although there are other types of home loans other than mortgages, but that's definitely the most uh, you know, well-known type of home loan. So you borrow the money from the bank or from wherever, and you make a certain payment every single month, and you, and you arrange that ahead of time. So for the next five years or for the next 10 years or for the next 20 years, I'm going to pay this amount. And then you pay the, the amount over and over and over again, and then when the five years or the 10 years or the 20 years is up, you own the house. You were able to live in the house the whole time, and then at the end of the, the period of time, you then own the house. Is that sinful or foolish? It seems to me that's not sinful or foolish at all, especially if the alternative to that is renting a home where I'm paying a similar amount of money every single month for five years or 10 years or 20 years, and at the end of the 20 years, I don't own a home. You following me? Right? That I'm making a monthly payment, but one of them I own it at, at the end, and the other one I don't own it at the end. So the reason I'm explaining all of this is because when I say in this sermon something along the lines of debt is bad, um, I just want you to realize I am actually not referring to every possible form of borrowing. Rather, I'm trying to say this. If it's bad to live a lifestyle where you spend 100% of your income on yourself, which is what we established last week, then it's bad to live a lifestyle where you spend 100% of your income on yourself and then borrow some more and then spend 100% of that on yourself. And so I want to give you two big problems with debt this morning. Two big problems with debt from the Bible. This is kind of like a two-point sermon. Here's point number one. Debt limits you. Debt limits you. Debt limits your freedom. Debt is technically a form of slavery. If you get right down to it, let me show it to you in Proverbs chapter 22. So we were just in Proverbs chapter 21. So this is, at least on my Bible, it's literally on the same page. You don't even have to turn the page. If you were looking at precious treasure and oil or in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. On the same page is Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now this is a truism. This is just something that's obviously true about the world that we live in. Okay? The rich rule over the poor, that's a general truism, right? For the most part, it is the rich that rule over the poor. For the most part, um, the people who are in power are rich, and the people who are not in power are poor. Um, for the most part, people who are rich have the um, resources in order to hire people and boss people around. And for the most part, people who are poor are the people who would be bossed around, right? That is the world that we live in. But look at the second half of the proverb. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Well, why is that? Well, the lender is loaning money to the borrower that the borrower has not earned yet. Therefore, the borrower has to pay back the lender with money that, he, that he's going to 
earn in the future with work that hasn't even happened yet, the lender ends up owning the borrower's future labor. Have you ever thought about that when it comes to loans and credit cards and borrowing money? That you are allowing someone else to own your future labor. That you can borrow money in June, right? And what that means is then, then work that you're going to do in July and August and September and October already in June, before, before, those, before those days have even come into existence, before you've even done the work, the work that you're going to do in September and October and November already belongs to someone else. That person owns your future labor. There is a kind of a sense in which you're their slave. Your work is already owned by them before you've even got to it. And so it limits your freedom. And I think limiting your freedom is bad because Christians need to be free to do what God wants them to do rather than by being restricted and going, well, I, don't, I can't do that because this time and this ability and this thing that I have in the future already is owned by someone else. Christians need to be free to do what God calls them to do. In fact, let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine you have a job and you work for an unethical employer. And there's this pressure from them for you to do the wrong thing. And you, at some point, realize, I need to do the right thing, but it might cost me my job or it might cost me some of my income. And, and because you owe a bunch of money, you think to yourself, I can't afford to do the right thing. Let me, let me just make up an illustration. This is, this is a fictional thing that I just made up, but it's actually based on like a, a, a real thing that I've heard. I want you to imagine that you have a job. Let's say you're a salesman. And the company that you work for has a certain product that you sell. And the product has you know, certain stats and qualities to it. And so the, the website that you know, your company has like claims on it and the packaging of the product all say certain things. But let's imagine you find out some of those things are not true. Okay? Let's imagine that the packaging says it has a certain amount of horsepower, and it doesn't. And you go to your boss and you say... Um, it, it, we're saying that it does this, but it doesn't. Like, we're saying it has this much horsepower, it does not. And imagine your boss says, yeah, we know. It was a mistake. We didn't do it on purpose. Um, that's what we thought was true, and, and we printed out like a million of them, and we can't fix it now. Um, and in fact, the people that govern over us, like the, 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 people, the, the people that are in charge of our industry, like the government agency that comes in and inspects and makes sure that we're doing this stuff, they actually checked it out, and they're the people that said this. Like the, it, it, it slipped by them as well. And so from their perspective, the people who would hold us accountable, from their perspective, what the packaging says is what it is. I mean, it's not in reality, but, but as far as what we're allowed to say... We're allowed to say that. The inspector didn't catch it. And so, yes, next year at this time, they're going to re-inspect and we're going to have to change it and we're not going to have to fix everything on the website and we're going to have to redo all the packaging. But for now, for the next 11 months, we get to claim that. Like, it's like a legal loophole. Because of their mistake, we get to claim that our product does this when it doesn't. We got 11 months to do that and we can sell a lot in those 11 months before we have to make up for it. And if you work for us, you are going to tell people that those what the, that's what the stats are. Because we can sell a lot in the next 11 months. Now imagine you're in that situation. Now I made that up, but that's not far off from stuff I've heard. Imagine you're in that situation and you start thinking to yourself, this feels wrong. I can't do that. I'm not, they're telling me I have to go tell people something is a certain amount and it's not that amount. It feels like a lie. And they said I'm going to get fired if I don't do it. And so I just feel like I should quit. And here's the thing. And, then, and this is what happens. Someone goes, 
but I have $50,000 worth of debt. I've got car loans, and I've got credit card bills, and I've got um, student loans. I can't afford to be a man of principle. I can't afford to be a woman of principle and do the right thing here. Can you picture that situation? That's what I'm trying to tell you. Debt can put us into a kind of slavery that we shouldn't be in if we don't have to be. And so that's point number one. One of the problems with that is that it limits you. It limits your freedom. And then number two, and I already said this at the beginning, but I'll just say it again. Debt encourages overspending. If consuming 10 out of $10 is bad, then of course consuming 11 out of $10 is worse. And it goes against what the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. So let me now conclude this sermon with a poem and a proclamation of the gospel. Um, sometimes they talk about how preachers like to do some points and then end with a poem. And I, I've ne- I, don't, I don't know if I've done that here in a long time, but here we go. Um, maybe this is not technically a poem. These are this, What I'm going to read to you are lyrics to a Shania Twain song. <laughs> now, some of you don't even know who Shania Twain is, okay? Shania Twain was the Taylor Swift of my era in college, okay? (laughs) Taylor Swift, um, these past 10 years, did something very significant in the sense that she was a country star, and then she crossed over into mainstream and sold millions of more albums, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, this has never been done before. But 20 years before she did it, Shania Twain did it, okay? She was a country star who then had all of these songs that crossed over into the mainstream, and she sold millions of albums as well. And so she um, had this song that I'm going to read you the lyrics. And what's interesting to me is this song was not released in the United States. I mean, it was in the sense that it was on her album, and I bought her album, and so I have the song. Okay, judge me all you want. I don't care what you think. Um, so I, I was able to listen to the song, but it was never released to radio. It was never released to MTV. Like, just American, for them. I bet you most of you in this room, you're never going to hear the song before. However, she did release it to Europe for whatever reason, and it was a number one hit in Europe. So the song that Americans have not heard of hers, but was a huge hit in Europe, here it is. The name of the song is Kaching, and these are the words that she writes. She said, we live in a greedy little world that teaches every little boy and girl to earn as much as they can possibly, then turn around and spend it foolishly. We've created us a credit card mess. We spend the money that we don't possess. Our religion is to go and blow it all. So we're shopping every Sunday at the mall. All we ever want is more a lot more than we had before, so take me to the nearest store. Can you hear it ring? It makes you want to sing. It's such a beautiful thing. Ka-ching. Lots of diamond rings, the happiness it brings. You'll live like a king with lots of money and things. When you're broke, go and get a loan. Take out another mortgage on your home. Consolidate so you can afford to go and spend some more when you get bored. Then she goes back into the chorus again. And it's interesting to me that she connects religion and overspending as if materialism and discontentment are spiritual problems. Isn't that interesting? I guess what I'm trying to point out to you is this idea that I'm going to satisfy myself with things. I'm going to spend 100% of all of my things on myself, right? In fact, I'm going to satisfy myself with things that I haven't even earned yet. The idea that that's a moral problem is obvious even to someone who's not a Christian. 
Shania Twain's not even a Christian. I looked her up on Wikipedia this week. She doesn't even claim to be a Christian. She claims to be a whole other religion. And even she can see that this isn't just a financial problem. It's a spiritual problem. I didn't write these. Our, this is what she writes. Our religion is to go and blow it all. So we're shopping every Sunday at the mall. I'm saying you don't even have to be a Christian to see that there's a spiritual, there's a, there's a moral aspect to this. And so like last week, I want to encourage you, especially those of you who are Christians, um, to repent if necessary when it comes to overspending and debt. You should repent. And, and the word repent, um, I use that word a lot around here, and it's a very, I guess it seems like a very religious word, and I don't always define it. So let me explain what I mean when I say you need to repent, because it's actually not a religious word. The word repent just means to turn around and go the other direction. So repent is like, look, I just repented. Okay, that's technically a repentance right there. Okay, it's to be going in one direction and then just turn and go the other direction. That's what repentance is. You're doing a particular thing. Stop doing that thing. Do the other thing. That's what repentance is. And yes, sometimes repentance is hard. And sometimes repentance will make you look weird compared to the people around you. I came across a quote from C.S. Lewis this week. I thought it was really interesting. C.S. Lewis is a famous children's author, Christian apologist, professor at Oxford, and he said this. He said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Isn't that interesting? When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who, is, he who repents and goes in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. And that's what it will look like for many of you. If you get swept up into this culture and then you go, no, I'm going to do things God's way. There are going to be people in the crowd going, that's crazy. And nonetheless, I encourage you to run away from that cliff. Consider these passages. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. This is found in the wisdom literature of Scripture. It says, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. I mean, that's one thing you need to know. If you decide, I'm going to love money, right? Or if you allow yourself to continue to love money, you're never going to have enough. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and the, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. Let me show you something from the New Testament. This is a verse that I think matches along with this, and I think we've read this one several times already in this series. It's such a good verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This was Jesus speaking. He said, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and, what's the word? Love the other. So this is about our loves, right? He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot be slaves of God and of money. You can't love God and love money, right? It's, you're not going to be able to go both ways. And we already know from Ecclesiastes, if you choose to love money, you're never going to have enough. You will never be satisfied. But if God is your master and the one that you love, you can be satisfied with the money that he's given you. And so it may be that some of us in this room need to repent, that you can confess your discontent and your materialism to God. You can confess your discontent and your greed and your materialism to a gracious God. You can ask him to forgive you because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. You can ask him to change you. 
and help you get out of debt. And if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I have such bad news for you and such good news for you. And I want to give it to you in that order, if you don't mind. The bad news is you are already in so much spiritual debt. All of us are. Like this is our, just our natural setting. You are already in so much spiritual debt that you could never pay it off on your own. And you need to know that. Like even if you could somehow, apart from God, eliminate all the greed in your heart, which I don't even think that's possible to do apart from God, but let's just imagine it. What if you could somehow eliminate all the greed in your heart apart from God and live a life of self-control and live a life of contentment and pay off all your financial debts and never get back into debt again? That wouldn't make up for the greed and the discontentment and the lack of self-control in your past. Nor could it atone for your non-financial sins. And so that's the bad news. Everybody is naturally in spiritual debt to God, and we are doomed if we're on our own. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus paid the debt for sin, and everyone who trusts in him is forgiven of the spiritual debt that they owe God. And I want you to see this. I want you to see that Jesus sees it this way. So Matthew chapter 6, this is the same, same chapter I was just in when he talked about no one can be the slave of two masters. Just a little earlier in that same chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, this is a very famous verse. This verse is smack dab in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. You do not have to be a Christian to have heard of this verse. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus sees our sins against God as debts. A few pages later in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus talking about himself says this. He says, for even the son of man, that's a reference to himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a, well, now what's the word? Ransom. Now that's interesting. That's a word we don't use a lot, but it's, it's a financial word. It's the price that is paid in order to buy a person. We use it in our culture mostly in kidnapping movies, okay, right? And they say, leave the money in a duffel bag under the bridge, and the person does that to get their daughter back. And I don't know how often that was happening back then with kidnapping, but I think that this could also be the price that you would pay to get someone out of slavery back then, right? I pay this to, as the ransom, my life instead of their life. And so this is how Jesus sees himself. Not only does he think that our sins are debts that we owe God, but he sees his own life and his death on the cross in his giving of his life as a payment for us. And then Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says this, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law, meaning he was a human being accountable to the you know, morals and ethics just as we are. So, <clears throat> born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Again, sometimes this is not obvious in English. Redeem is also a financial word. Redeem means to buy something back. So Galatians says that God sent Jesus to, to pay a price to purchase us, 
right? That's why God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And in this case, I think the redemption that's being referred to here is definitely the, I'm buying a slave out of slavery, right? Someone owns all their future lovers. Someone owns them, but I'm going to buy them and free them from that. And the way that I know that's what the word redeem means here is because I, I kept reading. Look at the next verse, right? So, well, wait, go back because I didn't finish that one. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, now next verse. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a what? A slave, no, but a son, and so when you put this together, you see Jesus sees our sins as debts that we owe God. He sees his life as the payment for our debts. And he sees his redemption as a freedom from slavery for us. And so we've talked about that in the financial sense and how we need to be freed from our slavery and pay off our debts. But we also need to realize in the spiritual sense, we have debts we could never pay off if somebody doesn't pay the ransom price. And Jesus Christ did. And the proper response that good news is to repent and to love him and to trust him as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. God, I pray both about our spiritual debts and our financial debts this morning. I guess I start with the financial debts. I pray that you would help us to be people, especially those of us who are Christians, to say, I don't need to live like the people who don't know God. I feel ashamed that I am living just like all the people who don't know God. And I want to turn from that now. Now that I know and, and, and that we can say, God, thank you that I can turn to a gracious God who will help me live as I should, not stiff-arming me and going, well, let's see if you can prove that you're really sorry. And so we thank you that we get to turn to you, God. And I pray that many of us in this room would. Even those of us who know you would like, turn to you in a, in a new way, in a repentant way. And be people who, instead of loving money, love you and are satisfied with what we have and are satisfied with not having to borrow from tomorrow's labor and are satisfied with even not spending everything we even have right now. And then I pray for us in the spiritual realm. I thank you so much that you would send your son, God. Jesus, thank you so much that you would come and die on the cross for our sins to pay a debt we could never pay off. And so I pray either over time or, or immediately there would be people in this room who would, who would see you for who you are and would turn to you as our ransom and as our redemption. I pray that you would save us from the cliff we're running toward. So I just ask that you would rescue people and our hearts would be changed and our lives would be changed by your grace. And I pray you'd help us to do our part in turning from our own ways and loving you and trusting you and loving you and trusting you more than we love and trust money. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.